on, church? Hey. Hey. It's good to see you guys. It looks like I'm scratching my beard, but like when I sing in a mask, it all gets in my mouth, which is, you know, problems you did not anticipate facing in 2020, yet here we are. The problems of a bearded man. This. this, (laughs) Yeah, the problems of a bearded bald man. The Michael Lockstanford story. Oi, don't don't buy that book. (laughs) Church, I'm so glad to be here uh, with you this morning. Um, Yeah, and and I love it when my notes don't actually have the information that I need on them. That's always fun. Wah, wah, we'll be all right. I am glad to be with you this morning, and I'm glad to be taking another step in our series that we've called Tell Me a Story. Um, And in a season where uh, we come together, we gather together, and we tell very familiar stories, um, there's something even magical about repeating something that you're already familiar with. And so um, one of my uh, enduring memories from childhood is, is Christmas Eve, uh, dad sitting in front of the fireplace. Um, in my memory, it's, it's wood logs, but in reality, it was gas logs <laughs> because practically they're better. Um, and uh, he, he would read for us every Christmas Eve the night before Christmas, and maybe you have a similar tradition too, but I wondered what it would be like if perhaps we could uh, all climb up together in God's lap uh, in front of a fireplace, Christmas trees lit, and just say, hey, God, would you tell me a story? And what are the stories that he would tell? Um, and my suspicion is, if we were to ask him that question, that he would tell us stories that we're already familiar with, stories that we know, stories that are foundational to our faith. And so we've explored a couple of those together, stories about how God has worked in the past um, and how he's planning to work in the future. So we started with the story about what God did with a man named Noah. In the midst of a violent and evil and wicked generation, um, God saved him, saved his family, and saved a big portion of the creation that God had made as well. Um, And then we talked about Abram, a a guy who really didn't have any background walking with with the one true God, but God met him anyway and continued to walk with him in spite of himself. Every time we read Abram's story, we're surprised at how often he fumbles, how often he drops the ball, and yet God continues to extend his grace to him. Um, And last week we talked about a guy named Moses because God had made some promises to Abraham. He said, I'm going to give you a land, I'm going to give you a bunch of kids, and I'm going to use those kids, I'm going to use your family to be a blessing to the whole world. But part of the promise is they're going to suffer. They're going to spend 400 years uh, in an oppressive uh, country, and they're going to be slaves for them, for that nation. And then I'm going to hear their prayer, and then I'm going to let them go. And so between Abram and Moses is 400-some-odd years. And what God said was going to happen to Abram, later he named Abraham, happened. And then we get a guy named Moses who was a little bit of a hothead, not really great public speaker, but God says, I'm going to use you again in spite of yourself to do something awesome. And we saw God give the law and the first ten commandments and this covenant, this promise that God made with these children of Abraham um, through Moses. And, And we talked about how... We key in real quick on like the rules, like just give me a checklist. I can do a checklist. Like 
Men will complain all day long about a honeydew list, but really it is helpful to us to know, like, these are the things I can do and, and get accomplished. Like, whether or not I have the energy to actually get to any of those things is another thing, but we do like to have a list. And so when we come to the Ten Commandments, we think, oh, this is a list. Awesome. I know how to make God happy. And God's like, well, it really is only about two things. Do you love me? Do you walk with me? And do you love your neighbor? Do you walk with them well? Because I made creation to be a peaceful place. And, and if you love me and hate everybody around you, you're doing it wrong. So um, that's kind of where we've been. And we're going to do another leap in time. This morning, we're, we're traveling from Moses, who led out a, a, sm a small nation of people from Egypt, people who had been servants, um, had some skills, like they were probably skillful builders, um, but by and large had been slaves, led them out of that land to give them their own land, their own homes, their own gardens, their own everything, um, and, and things kind of progressed from there. Um, let's, uh, I'm going to, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how much to summarize for you because God is actually going to summarize a lot of it in our text today. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to remember what details not to include for you at this point because God's going to do it later. Um, and in, in hopes that that happens, I'm going to invite you as we begin to pray with me, uh, to ask God to speak with us clearly this morning, give us what we need for the day, our daily bread that we might walk with him in fellowship. Would you pray together with me? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. <clears throat> so let's turn together uh, in our Bibles to 2 Samuel, the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 7. You can navigate there on your uh, devices, and I'll tell you what page it's on if you'd like to use these blue Bibles that are either in a chair in front of you or underneath your chair. Uh, these blue Bibles, if you don't have a Bible, I just invite you to take it home. It's a gift for you. Um, it's, it's extra large text. You can read it from the moon, so it should be easy on your eyes. Um, and that's our gift to you if you don't have one. Um, but if you'd like to follow along with me, it'll be helpful for you. 2 Samuel, the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 7. And I'm going to begin uh, with the first three verses. This is going to set us up to have a deeper conversation. What's up, fella? What's up? Let's read. <clears throat> so let's read 2 Samuel chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. Now when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar. But the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord Yahweh is with you. So we'll pause there. 
um, because there's a flash here. You, especially from last week to this week, you can tell that there have been some things that happened. The last time that we were talking about the nation of Israel, there were a bunch of slaves who had escaped who were looking forward to a promised land. They didn't have any kind of government. They didn't really have any kind of organization. They knew, I'm going to follow Moses, and when I do follow Moses, things kind of go okay for me. And then God gives them the law. He gives them a constitution. He makes them into a nation, but they're still them. Uh, they're, they're still just a bunch of slaves that managed to get out by the skin of their teeth. And so what happened? They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years and we're like, okay, cool. You went on a hike for 40 years. That's a lot. But actually it was, it was judgment because God brought the people to the promised land, the land that he said he was going to give them. And they said, nah, it's too big. It's too scary. I can't do that. And so God said, well, if, it's, if they said, I can't do that. I'm afraid if I go in there, then the people of the land are going to kill my kids. Like, I'm afraid that if we go and try to conquer this land, that my, my gen the generations that follow me aren't going to make it. They'll take my children. They'll kill them. That's you. <laughs> so <laughs> so God, says, God says, look, okay, you are going to, uh, you're going to die, and I'm going to give the land to your kids. You're so scared that these people are going to kill your kids. I'm, you're the ones that are going to die, and I'm going to give the land to your kids. And so we have this wandering in the, in the wilderness for 40 years, and then by the time the people, the nation of Israel, are going into the land, it's not the people that were sitting at, standing at Mount Sinai. It's not the people that heard God's voice at the foot of the mountain. It's their kids that are walking in. And so we have this book of Deuteronomy at the end of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, where it's Deuteronomy, like the name of it means the second, the second time. Here we go again. Because Moses is having to stand up and tell the people, this is what I told your parents, now they're all gone. It's your turn, what are you going to do with it? And so God brings them into the land. He shows them uh, where they're going to go. He lets them, <laughs> he's just going to sit there, probably not sit for very long. <clears throat> Bye. <clears throat> He takes, them, he takes them into the land and they conquer. They go and they, they are able to kick the people of the land out. They take over. God is with them. This army, army, I put army in air quotes because there's a bunch of slaves. They, they were skilled workers, skilled builders probably, but any, any slave master in his right mind isn't going to teach their slaves how to shoot a gun, isn't going to teach them how to use a sword. So these people do not have military background, and yet they're going against fortified cities, and God is giving them victory. Like God's hand is on them as they go. He gives them the land, and they get into the land, and they're like, man, we are pretty great. Right? Like, look at how strong we are. We, we escaped from the Egyptians, that world power. Like, we got, we got away from them, and then we walked into a, a, this land of Canaan, which is full of all these giants and these fortified cities, and, and we did pretty good job. Thank you very much. And they start patting themselves on the back, and they forget it was God all along. And so in their forgetting, God is still gracious to them. He sends them uh, leaders that we call judges. And these judges would come and say, hey, like, you guys think you're pretty great, except that now you're being oppressed. Like, maybe you should remember the God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And they're like, oh, yeah, we remember him. He helps us out when we're in a really bad trouble. And so 
God helps them out, and then they're like, yeah, we're pretty great again. And so there's a cycle, and every time they think they're doing good, things go worse and worse for them. That's the book of Judges that we've talked about a little bit this year already uh, in the series that we called Break the Cycle. And then at the end of the Judges, the final judge is a guy named Samuel. And Samuel says, look, the season is, uh, or Samuel is... (laughs) leading the people, and the people are saying, look, we really want a king. And Samuel's like, no, you really don't want a king. You just need to follow God the way that God wants you to. And they're like, no, we think a king would be a good idea. And, and Samuel's like, I don't think it's going to be a good idea. He's, he's going to tax you, and it's going to be a problem. And they're like, yeah, but then we'll be like everybody else, and we just want to fit in. Like, we're a nation. We have a constitution. We have land. Um, but we want to be like every, everybody else. We want to have a king that's going to fight our battles. And Samuel's like, look, that's not how kings work. Kings don't fight your battles for you. You fight the king's battles for him. They're like, yeah, but that's what we want. And God tells Samuel, yeah, give them what they want. So they get a king, uh, a guy named Saul. And he looked like a king. He was very royal. And... Um, it didn't go great. <laughs> the guy who thinks he is a king uh, acts like a king and takes authority where it's not his, and God removes him from office and sets up not another king, not somebody who is strong, uh, who's muscular, who stands tall, not the firstborn to inherit the throne, the youngest son of a peasant in Bethlehem, David. We had to go find. He had to go get him off. Like, he's a blue-collar worker. He's out in the field. He's out chasing the sheep around. They had to go find the guy. Bring him in. He's like, yeah, this guy's the king. He's like, it doesn't really look like a king. It doesn't really smell like a king, if you know what I'm saying. Standing out with the sheep. But that's who God chose to use. And so God is with him. And, and, and God teaches him. Like, I, I wish we could talk more about David's life than we're going to this morning. But like he was a guy that God walked with and who constantly, God constantly instructed him on know your place with me. Yes, I'm taking you somewhere, but we're not there yet. And so know your place with me. Be content with the blessings that I give you for today. Be content with your daily bread. There will be more for you later, but right now you're not the king. And I think that lesson and humility of, of knowing that he would be the king, but still submitting to a king who wasn't doing a very good job, um, a king who adopted him to be his son and then treated him like an outcast. Uh, I can't imagine the emotional toil he went through, but brought him to a place where he was a king. And here now, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, now when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies. So this is David that we're talking about, the king. Little, little shepherd boy is now sitting on a throne, and he's got peace. He's gone out, and he fought his battles. He's subdued the enemies. The king said to Nathan the prophet, well, who's Nathan the prophet? Actually, the last time we saw Nathan the prophet, if we were reading through the whole story, uh, was when Nathan told the king, hey, you're the man. But it wasn't a compliment. <laughs> I think about this every time somebody says, you're the man, you're the man. We use it as a compliment. But the last time we saw Nathan, he was saying, you're the man in the sense of you are the man who is guilty. You are the man who is responsible for stealing from the poor and giving to yourself. You are the man who has done wickedly and who are under the judgment of God because David had stolen a man's wife and made sure that the man got killed on the front lines of battle. David 
Although a man after God's own heart was not without his moments of weakness. The king says to Nathan the prophet, See, now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. So Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord God is with you. So this, this nation took the presence of God with them in a tent. This tabernacle is another word we've probably heard for it. It was just a tent where God met people. He met Moses in the tent of meeting, the tabernacle. He says, look, God is meeting with people in a tent, and I'm sitting here in a palace. Like, I've got a, a, a house of cedar. I am in royalty, and yet God's out living in a tent, and I want to, that doesn't seem right to me. Which just makes me ask the question, do we ever reflect on God's experience of walking with us? We say it every week at the conclusion of our worship gathering, Jesus promises, lo, I will be with you always to the end of the age. Do we ever reflect on what that's like for God to be with us? Like, what's his experience? What are we putting him through? I get real frustrated at hearing babies cry continually for perceivably no reason. And I just wonder what what my whining sounds like to God's ears. Do we reflect on God's experience of walking with us? I don't know, I'm not entirely sure that this is always a healthy exercise, um, but he's always with us. And I wonder if we might approach our circumstances a little bit differently if we thought, you know what, God's with me through this, and he's going to be right here watching me handle this the way I'm going to handle it. Like, he's going to have to endure whatever it is that I do. So am I going to do this thing in a way that's honoring to him or a way that makes him want to pull his beard out? I don't know if God has a beard. I just made that up. Let's continue reading. Second Samuel chapter 4. But that same night that the king said he wanted to build a house for God, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? Have I not lived in a house since the day I brought the people of Israel from Egypt to this day? But I've been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel. And I will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. 
And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. So David says, look, I live in a palace and God's living in a tent. I'm going to build him a house. And God shows up and he says, uh, you want to build me a house? Did, did I ask for a house? Like, all right, David, I know you're kind of new to the throne. You're new around here. But remember, I'm the one who called people up out of the, the Egypt, out of the land of Egypt. Remember, I gave them instructions for what they needed to build. Don't you remember that I gave them very specific instructions about how I wanted my tent? And they built it the way I told them to build it. And then they moved into the land. Don't I know how to give blueprints? I've done it a couple times now. The ark, I was very specific about how to build that boat. The tent, I was very specific about how that was supposed to be handled. I think, I think if I wanted to instruct somebody, I could probably do that. So which of the judges, which of the leaders of Israel that I've appointed, which of those people did I ask them, why are you not building me a house? Didn't I give you blueprints for a house? Like, No, God never gave them any kind of instructions for anything. And so God's like, look, David, bro, I appreciate your thoughtfulness, but this is not what I'm asking for. Which I think is really, really interesting, because there there's a flip here around verse 3, remember? Because David says, I want to build a house for God, and, and Nathan's like, that seems like a good idea. Go do everything you're supposed to do. And then Nathan hears from God, and God's like, no, <laughs> that's, that's not what I'm looking for. I didn't ask anybody for a house. God is clarifying what he's asking for and what his expectations are. I didn't ask you for a house. I appreciate that you want to build one, but this is not your job. And this brings us to the big idea for our morning. God tells his story with us, but it's always his story. God tells his story with us, but it's always his story. David's saying, look, God, like you've, got, you've written a great story for me. Like I'm so grateful for how you've blessed me, how you took me from this little backwoods town in Bethlehem raising sheep, and, and now I'm here, I'm in this palace of cedar wood, the finest lumber that exists, and man, I just am so grateful. Like God, I want to I express my worship of you by building you something. And God says, look, I, I, I'm telling my story with you, David. You have walked with me. You've cooperated with me. You are doing a good job. John, I'm, you are, I am telling my story with you, but it's my story. There's times where I think perhaps we presume upon knowing what is best for God when he's perfectly capable of communicating the things that he wants for us. And so God then says, look, don't you remember? Here's a flashback, David. Don't you remember where I met you? Take, take a snapshot. Take a Polaroid of you out in the sheep pasture, following the sheep around, smelling like sheep, out in the wilderness, cold when it's cold, hot when it's hot. I took you from there to be prince, to be shepherd of my people Israel. I've been kind to you. I've walked with you. And I've been walking with them too. I've been walking with them longer than you've been alive. Like, we've been through a lot. Like, have you read Judges? We have been through a lot. 
And you know what? You want to build a house for me, but I'm going to build a house for you. I'm going to... I want to read it. Uh, he says, look, I'm going to give you peace. I'm going to give you rest um, from all the violent people that surround you um, that, have been, that have been attacking you throughout all of the period of the judges and more... Uh, and when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, so you're going to go to the rest in peace. And when that day comes, I will raise up for your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. We've seen it with Noah, a covenant. We've seen it with Abraham, a covenant. We've seen it with Moses, the covenant. Parties and terms and a sign. And now we see it to David, little shepherd boy. Who are the parties? Well, it's between Yahweh, God, the Lord, and David. It's kids. I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to walk with you, David, but, but I'm going to raise up for you a son. There's going to be peace. And your son is going to have, the person who comes from your body is going to have an eternal throne. You know, David, very clearly that the throne is not eternal. How many years did you watch Saul grasping his spear holding on to whatever semblance of authority that he could possibly have while I just took the kingdom from him. You know that the throne, that the earthly rule that you have right now is not eternal, but I will give eternal rule to somebody who is descended from you. I won't take my spirit from him the way I took it away from Saul. And he's going to build the temple. He's going to build the house. And what are the terms? There aren't any. God's just making a promise. This is what I'm going to do. How interesting is that? David says, look, God, I want to do something nice for you. And God comes in and says, I didn't ask you to do something nice for me. Let me bless you. Let me do something more than what you're asking for. Let me show you something that's greater. Let me, let me establish something for you that you couldn't even imagine. You're, so, you're locked in on the, on the riches and you're locked in on how authority works and power and government. And I'm going to do something that's eternal. Are we prepared for God to love us more than we can imagine? If we're asking ourselves, if, if, if we reflect on God's experience of walking with us, I, I suspect that we'll leave that interaction feeling pretty bummed. We're not great. <laughs> we mess up a lot. Uh, and when we reflect on the sinfulness of our heart, we go, God, how could you? I'm worse every day. I'm discovering deeper and deeper roots of sin in my heart. I'm worse than I ever thought I could be. And God looks at us and says, yeah, but I love you more. Yeah, you want to do something nice for me? It's not going to work out. That's okay. I'm going to bless you more. 
Are we prepared for God to love us more? He loves us more than we deserve. He tells his story with us. But it's always his story. Let's see how David responds. Chapter 7, verse 18. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come, and this is instruction for mankind, O Lord God. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God. Because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have brought all of this greatness to make your servant know it. Therefore you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you, and there is no God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like, the, who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem, to be his people, making himself a name, and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people, whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods. And you established for yourself your people Israel to be your people forever. And you, O Lord, became their God. And now, O Lord God, confirm forever the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house and do as you have spoken. And your name will be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made this revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are God. And your words are true, and you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now, therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant, so that you may continue forever, so that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken, and with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. David says thanks. (laughs) He's like, you know, I, what, what, what's my house? Who am I? Where did I come from? I got, I got almost nothing. Like, I got to bend down to get in my house. It's so small. And you've already done so much for me. Like, you took me from the field, and now I'm here in the palace, and, and you've already done so much for me, and yet from your perspective, it's nothing. It's not a big deal. But now you're promising even more. And I'm overwhelmed. You've done so much for this nation, for, for my father's 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 back to Abraham, back to Noah, back to Adam. Like, you've, done, you've walked with us. You keep coming. You keep showing up and introducing yourself and doing more with us than we deserve. In spite of ourselves. you're telling your story with us, God. Who am I? But thank you. (sighs) 
Do we thank God for the blessings that he promises? Maybe on my more cynical days, I, I get uncomfortable with that idea. Why would I thank God for his blessings that he's promised me? Uh, that seems a little presumptuous, doesn't it? Thanks for that thing you're going to do for me, God. That seems kind of rude. But it depends on, on how you approach the gratitude. And I'm not sure I'm going to be able to draw as clear a line as I want to with this, but there's a difference in attitude with going, thanks for that thing you're going to do for me as like what they call in the sales world an assumptive close. Like you, you assume the sale. God, I have asked you for that raise. Thank you for what you are going to do. Wink, wink, nod, nod. <laughs> There's a difference between praying an assumptive close, thanking God for his promises, and looking at the things that God has said and understanding clearly his character and his faithfulness to things that are beyond our comprehension and going, God, I, I don't know how you could possibly do this, but thanks. It's not presumptuous if it's based on his trustworthy character. Which means we must be clear about what he has said. There's times, uh, particularly with familiar stories, where we go, oh, I know what this says. I, I got this one. I know what he's promising. I know how to claim this. I know how to thank God for this. And we've got to slow down and listen to what he says. Thank him for that. We need to be clear on what, it, what he promises if we're going to thank him well for his promises. I can give you an illustration. Um, my kids came up to the door last weekend, and none of them had masks on. They were thinking, I'm going to go in and I'm going to get a, get a mask off of the thing. And I know for a fact that we've got three or four masks on the floor of our van, just sitting there. So I says, go back to the van and, and pick up a mask before you come in. And they go back and tell mom, we got to go home and get masks. Dad won't give us one. We got to be clear on what it is that God says. Which takes work. Doesn't it take work to listen? I, I used to think I was a pretty good listener. But I'm real quick at like hearing half a sentence and knowing how it's supposed to end. And responding to the end that I have created in my head before I hear what the end of the sentence is. When David prays, verse 18. King David went in and sat before the Lord. To listen well takes time. To hear well takes effort. To obey, that takes the Spirit of God in our heart. But the good news is that God tells his story with us 
And it's always his story. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, we need you. You have already brought us so far. You have already blessed us so richly. And to ask for more, to continue to lean on you, it seems like we're a burden to you. But you have told us very clearly that you love us. You have showed us that you are willing to lay down your own son to win us to yourself. So God, would you prepare our hearts to listen well, to thank you for the things that you're saying. Would you prepare our hearts to be loved by you Would you ever be mindful that you walk with us every step of the way till the end of the age? Would you lead us in your grace? It's in your name that we pray.